This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Ladies and gents, welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host, Chris Simpson, and joining me today is Cara Thistlethwaite. Hello. And it has been a great week, well, first of all, off the pitch for us, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) but on the pitch, Newcastle, three wins in six days. It's been a hell of a time since our last pod. A, well, you'll you'll know this already, listeners, but a 2-0 win over Man United, best wedding present ever. Uh, five win, uh, sorry, five one win um, at West Ham on the Wednesday, and then a two one win uh, coming from behind against Brentford on the weekend. That's now five wins in a row in the Premier League. Newcastle very much got their mojo back, which is good to see after obviously a pretty disappointing spell um, earlier this year. And yeah, great, great set of wins. Uh, we'll focus mainly on the Brentford one because. I'm sure you guys all have seen and heard everything you need to hear about the West Ham and the Man United wins. Uh, but obviously we had to give them a mention because, again, some great results and great play from us there. I have to say, though, actually, the Brentford one could have so easily gone differently on another day given the first half Brentford had. Yeah, they had an excellent first half with Tony um, unfortunately being ruled out for offside. But obviously, unfortunately for Brentford, it was one of those ones where, let's be honest, yes, it was offside, technically... Did it really give him that much of an advantage? Probably not. But <laughs> but there you go, the letter of the law, that's how it goes. And then obviously you missed that penalty. Um And he does not miss penalties, does he? No, I mean, no, ten in the in the league so far. So very unexpected. It, it, it did look it did look a bit I don't know, nervy when he yeah, took it. It, it was it a bit tame for right. him, wasn't it? Yeah. But possibly I mean, some nerves against his former side, of course. Um used to play for us in his youth, but yeah, I mean, I mean I don't, who, who knows if that I was mean, a factor, it didn't but... really affect him on his second one, which obviously he no. And you know what? Fair play to him, actually. You know, to after you to step up again after you've missed a penalty, and to really confidently bury the second one. Obviously, I can say this because I'm just glad that in the end we've won the game. So otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't normally compliment. They both they were both though very bad tackles. Oh, let's not. Let's well, be that the first, first one, one wasn't the Botman one. It wasn't even a tackle. <laughs> that was. Shocking. It was just a body check. I mean, <laughs> how was, did he? How was he on the pitch? <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> shocking from Botman. But yeah, as I say, getting it away with it a little bit in the sense that you know, on another day, we could have easily been three 0 down at half time. But thankfully, we really booked our ideas up, didn't we? After the break, you know, Wilson came on, Anthony Gordon. Big yeah, impact. it's good. Good to see Gordon coming back as well, obviously, um, because I feel he adds that extra bit of pace mm. and it does kind of free Jolene turn up a little bit and he had an excellent an excellent game just purely because there isn't just one individual that the ball is going through all the time because I do feel that Jolington and he's very good at it but he, he's succeeded in making himself invaluable in that midfield for any form of passing from the back and he kind of ends up being almost a bit like a defensive midfielder at times um, and then obviously with Gordon having his extra pace it just means that Jolington can get himself forward a little bit more. And we saw, I know it was an own goal, um, but actually 
it was pretty much all Jolington. Yeah. And Some... it was just unfortunate for Brentford. I think it was the keeper. It came off the back of his heel. But it was excellent play from Jolington. And I know that's obviously counted down as a as an own goal and not one of Jolington's. But I feel that he he mastered that one. And there was no one else that could have claimed any form of, of help in there. So... It was great, wasn't it? And especially after he got two against West Ham in the week as well. It's, again, you know, I'm I'm not sure we're ever expecting Jointon to become a prolific goal scorer, but anytime anyone can chip in, and obviously Jointon, yes, as as we've said, he's now really well and truly a midfielder. And again, I'm not sure he's ever going to be that much of a goal scorer. But, you know, officially, nominally, he was brought in as a forward player. So anytime I think he can contribute in particular is is really good. But also just as we said, anytime anyone can, you know, Joe Willock also got one um against Man United as well. We've not seen enough we know what he can do in front of goal, we've not seen enough of that mm. um this season in particular. Even though he's been playing really well recently. But yeah, great from Jolington, as you say, just really like absolutely doing um the defender and then working his way in. That was really, really good play. And it certainly deserved a goal. I say it's a shame that it's not going to uh, go down under his name, but you know, kind of essentially, he forced that on goal from from David. Yeah, but it's, a, it's another facet of of Jolington that has come forth this last season. Really, mm. um, he does have. Don't get me wrong; we've seen some howlers, <laughs> um, but he he does have that ability to run through defenders, and he's not the fastest player, and he's not the most technically gifted. But he does get himself in positions which make it difficult for defenders. And I think it's that placement mm. that he has shown that he's really good at. And, and we've seen it when he plays balls from midfield through all the way to uh, Wilson, for instance. He, he has been very good at that. And I think that I think his knowledge of the game is improving really well. And he seems to have a bit of a sixth sense now as to where his teammates are. And it's become invaluable to, to getting that ball up from the back because Newcastle were very much on the back foot for for about 50% of that game um, but it helped and then it was really really good as well seeing Isaac playing alongside Wilson yeah and that could be very very dangerous for for other teams but we also know that both are very injury prone so you know <laughs> we'll see we'll see where that goes <laughs> but yeah no it was it was great to see them linking up for the goal um, yeah in fact Jointon involved sighting the build up as well he got it forward to Wilson Wilson cutting in laying it off to Isaac and then a really really great that just a lovely curling finish, really, wasn't it, from the edge of the area to to win the game? And again, as we mentioned, yeah, assisted there by Wilson, who he's been back on scoring form. Obviously, got one against Man United, then two against West Ham. So, obviously, just an assist against Brentford. But that's really good to see as well because that had been, you know, really his most um, sort of barren spell at Newcastle since his arrival because it. It always seemed that he was basically always on form. He just was only on the pitch about half the time because of injury. Mm. This was actually like the longest spell where he's been fit and just not been, you know, contributing in the way we know he, he can. So for him to be really fit and firing again is great. Seeing him, you know, um, linking up with with Isaac as we just said is really good because hopefully we do get to see a bit more of them together on the pitch, not just one or or, or the other. Um, and again, you know, two more goals for Isaac. So one against West Ham, obviously the winner here against Brentford. So it's all been, so, you know, as I say, six six days basically. These three games happened in, and it could scarcely have gone better, really, um, in in terms of how uh, it all played out. 
Sam Maxman, he was missing against Brentford um, because he'd, he'd, he'd picked up a knock, but been played played really well against Man United, played really well against West Ham. Been getting a couple of assists in there as well. It's nice for him to be contributing again because again we've seen him struggle at times this season. Yeah, to have the impact we know he can. Um, and I can say, yeah, five wins on the on the bounce now overall. So the two before the international break, three after, really getting some momentum back. And of course, what that means is we're back up to third place now with nine games left. We're three points ahead of Spurs, who are in fifth, and we've got a game in hand over them. So again, it's still pretty tight up there. We've not really opened much of a gap. But if we can if win that game in hand on Spurs... Like this, then, um, so Spurs are doing what Spurs do. Um, and we've got Spurs um, in a few weeks' time in the running. So again, if we can win that game... That that's a bit of a six pointer in terms of the top four potentially. Again, it's a big ask, of course. Uh, I know it's Spurs, but again, as always, it depends anyway. which Spurs <laughs> turn up on the day, basically. Um, but you know, like I say, we've give, thing is, if we hadn't have won these five games on the trot, we would have tumbled mm. well out of the well out of contention. So the fact that we are still very much up there, and say we're ahead of Man United on on goal difference. I still personally think, and this could just be my natural Newcastle pessimism, I still think Man United are going to finish above us. But obviously I'm still going to enjoy it while we're, at least for the time being, above them in the table. Um, Because to be fair, one thing we do have going for us is our goal difference is so much better than Man United's. It's, you know, I think ours is 27, theirs is plus 7. So a 20 uh, goal difference there. I mean, they need to have two games against Southampton to get <laughs> close to that. Um. Yeah, no, but uh, <laughs> you know, so like I say, we all we've all we can do is give ourselves a really good chance, and so far we are doing that ahead of the running. It's going to be an interesting one. I say we've got some tricky games coming up, but at the same time, you know, we don't have like a really tough run of like, oh, we've got City, we've got Arsenal, we've got. Liverpool or someone like in a row like we've sometimes had. Yeah, in the past. I don't I don't think I don't think it matters too much. I think as long as Newcastle keep playing like this, and as I say, out of the games that you've just played, Brentford are technically the weakest ones, and then the ones that gave you the most trouble. Now I actually think Brentford have had an amazing season. They have. Um and I think they're probably more definitely more consistent than Spurs, but I think they've been more consistent than Man United as well this season. They're scrappy and they very much play to how they want to play and disrupt the opposition's um, tactics, which you completely saw in the first half. Yeah. But the fact that then Newcastle managed to um, gather together in in the second half and come back, I think that that says quite a lot about your team. Um, yeah. Because hundred percent. Because as you say, Brentford are a really strong team, and again to go to their place, whether that first half storm, which again as I say, could have gone very differently on another day, but. So you know a little bit of good fortune there for us, but yeah, but it, it, it's a testament to the character of the team. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, and it's like it, a team like Man United, they can come back from whenever they'll just soak up all the pressure. But all you've got to do is go again and again and again at them. Eventually, one of them will make a stupid tackle because we all know who. Um, will get really stroppy with something and do a <laughs> stupid tackle and then throw himself on the floor because someone like breathes near him. Um, and that will eventually open something up because they get scrappy. But again, obviously, it's Man United, so as soon as they get one opportunity, the likelihood is that they could score it. Yeah. Um, but it's a very 
I think that's a very different thing. That's just all about the team being able to get across the final line and score with De Gea being amazing at the moment. Um, that in itself is, is different and a difficult challenge. But it's not the same as playing a team like Brentford who will just yeah. run at you screaming probably while holding Molotovs because they just don't care. They just want to win. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's, that's the type of game that I enjoy watching. I don't really care about watching Man United because they're pretty boring, actually. I know people like who watch football are like, oh yeah, but they're so good, it's a technical yeah, but don't you just want to see a team run at you? Is that not more? <laughs> I like that idea of, of Tom, Thomas Frank, you know, done such a good job at Brentford, and it's because his tactical innovation is. Have we thought of Molotov cocktails? I think they should have. Not enough teams employing Molotov cocktails. I mean, cocktails. this is where we're behind in the Bundesliga, to be fair, because <laughs> didn't they have a match this week? Um, was might have been this week or early. Earlier the week before, they had to have a match postponed, or they had to like have extra time out because there was that much smoke from all of the flares. They yeah, couldn't <laughs> actually play the game. <laughs> oh man, German fans are so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, and um, that's again. You know what, Eddie Howe, get on it. Molotov cocktails in the team. Yeah. What What are you doing? Tax- I mean, that's, that's be how, at the forefront of your tactical That's how Sunderland innovation. is so good. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, well, we'll see if uh, Eddie Howe's listening and his deployment of um, liquid fire in, <laughs> in Newcastle's next game in a bit. We'll, we'll, we'll preview that shortly. In the meantime, takeover news, uh, listeners. Uh, you may well have seen this um, in the last week. We obviously have to address it. This was a big report from the Athletics' Adam Crafton um, regarding the, New- the, the Newcastle takeover, in particular... Uh, in relation to the UK government's um, involvement, um, so, supposedly uh, they deny it, but it's take that with a pinch of salt. It's the UK government. <laughs> Look, I'll just get to the details. Um, again, you can obviously go and read Adam Crafton's piece um, online if you've got an athletic subscription. I've um, got some summaries basically to hit the kind of the broad points of the piece, um, which we thought were worth cover we thought were worth covering um, today. Um, and again, I feel like there's been talk of this in the past, so in many ways it's all not necessarily too surprising, but of course what has emerged is that the Athletic have actually managed to obtain like 59 pages of emails that show a lot of this stuff that we have kind of heard bits and pieces of in the past. Uh, and this is basically saying these emails essentially revealed that the British government considered... Um, Newcastle's takeover and immediate risk uh, quote unquote uh, to the country's relationship with Saudi Arabia um, essentially they were really worried that the takeover would fall through and that they you know they wanted the Saudis to take over Newcastle essentially I think let's let's just let's just put this in simple format they wanted the money that Saudi Arabia <laughs> had and Saudi Arabia said they'd invest it if they could buy Newcastle and then therefore the UK government also used its little patsy of the BBC to tell everybody how good they were and how much they'd improved. And let's ignore all of the bad things they're doing, including the grieving video of Jamal. I'm going to butcher his surname, I'm afraid. Um, but let's ignore all of that because we want money and therefore Saudi Arabia good is, is basically the stance of the British government. Yeah, I mean, just to yeah, just to run through some of the details, but yeah, Boris Johnson, chief strategist, uh, wanted an interlocutor, basically like an intermediary, 
he wanted then uh, someone basically to act as a, a go-between to impress uh, government interests on the Premier League I basically leaning on them to say you need to let this happen because we want this to happen um, yeah the Saudi PIF basically they had a stated aim apparently of £30 billion of investment in the United Kingdom over a 10 year period between 2018 and 2028 they didn't want to risk any of that um, say if if the Premier League had said well actually you are going to have to pass our owners director's tests ooh that might be an issue for you with your human rights record <laughs> and they were worried basically the PIF would be like alright well thanks but no thanks we're going to take that 30 billion elsewhere um, and yet to that end the British Foreign Office apparently um, appearing to want to enhance yeah the image of Saudi Arabia basically do a um, bit of bit but basically do a bit of PR for them and as you mentioned internal foreign office emails even flagging up an interview uh, by legal reps of Jamal Khashoggi's fiance, um, who was pleading on the BBC for the takeover to be blocked obviously she's been very and very understandably vocal um, about Saudi investment in sports and in other things because again they literally murdered her fiance. they will murder anybody um, they can get their hands on if they talk badly about their state, yeah, and again, for uh, a British Foreign Office minister has actually, you know, apparently the email showed that this issue was discussed between a call with a British Foreign Office minister and a Saudi ambassador to Britain. Um, Boris Johnson had a line prepared um, to to to, um, to to use when he during a phone call with a Saudi Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman had he raised the takeover when they had a call in May 2020 um, and again despite all this the government are denying that they sought to influence the process in any way uh, apparently they even claim the Premier League were the ones who asked them for meetings on the takeover uh, funnily enough Boris Johnson's not commented the Premier League's not that's, commented that's because he's in enough trouble as it is because he's a lying scumbag that we all knew because <coughs> he already got fired for it once before but no there he is again <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I could say in many ways none of this is a surprise listeners. as I say we've heard bits and pieces at the same time um, you know it's A first of all top work from Adam Crafton um, and obviously these emails are pretty damning um, and I think it's it's it, Obviously, on the one hand, the government wanting thirty billion pounds of investment in the country makes sense. On the other, they should not be getting involved when a third party wants to buy a Premier League football club or any football club. It is frankly none of their business in that way. It's and obviously, it's basically lobbying, isn't it? As we've mentioned, yeah, and as we've mentioned, they're effectively helping the Saudis use us as a vehicle for their sports washing. Um, like it's all like quite a complicated issue, but at the end of the day, when this government wants to get involved in something, that should probably tell you all you need to know about whether or not it's it's good or not. Um, you know, basically, if Boris Johnson if Boris Johnson does it, it's probably a bad thing. <laughs> As a general rule in life, I think that's one that is not going to steer you too far wrong. Um, it's also nice that you know in April or May twenty twenty, it's not like he had anything else on you know <laughs> that was important uh, to be dealing with. So it's cool that he was. Um, you know, just trying to chat the Saudis up and, and all that jazz. But um, but anyway, watch this space, as we can always say. Uh, I'm sure in the years to come, more and more and more is going to come out about the takeover. And we're just going to have to see how it all plays out. But, Jesus. Well, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's yeah. going to change. They've already bought it. Um, and, yeah, 
there's just going to be more things with people saying how bad it is and how it never should have happened and then there's going to be those people saying well you need to move on you need to be quiet why are you talking about it when it is an issue you should be talking about but whatever just like Brexit anyway Uh, yeah Uh, Eddie Black yes Newcastle appointing him as their new lead academy scout Uh, he was previously at Arsenal he's left Arsenal I think now for us uh, all we really wanted to say is, I guess, just, you know, it's all the talk of the takeover, the money. Obviously, we know that Newcastle can now spend a bit more in the transfer market, all that jazz. But as we mentioned before, it's it's one thing it is good to see. And again, always with the uh, <laughs> the asterisk of, you know, the Saudis are the ones who are in charge of all this. So, you know, uh, be, be aware of that. But just in terms of the the club actually investing in its infrastructure, in its future, in terms of you know, obviously getting a new lead academy scout, it's hopefully trying to get some of these young talents into the academy so that they can come through. We can actually develop our own players. I mean, again, it's <laughs> it always feels dirty to like, but like Man City do. But you know, <laughs> Man City they've completely revamped you know their training facilities, their academy, all this sort of stuff. To the point where, yes, they're still going to go out and spend, you know, hundred million pound on Jack Grealish or whoever, but they've also got younger players like a Phil Foden or someone like that, you know, top talents, young talents coming through at the club. Something we haven't seen enough of in recent years at Newcastle. I mean, the Longstaff is pretty much the only one to to really come through and actually stick around, and hopefully maybe Elliot Anderson will as well. But there's not been a lot of it during the Mike Ashley era because again, there's been no. Investment. Anything, yeah. Basically, okay. it's the kind of thing that you know. There's, <laughs> it's, it's something that helps you in the long term, but there's not an immediate return on it because these things take time. You know, we start recruiting really good young players now. It might be two, three, four, five years before they're ready to actually be part of the team, and that's not something Mike Ashley is going to invest in. We've talked before about how basically there was like a skeleton of a club left, like you know, in terms of the day to day running of it because he just stripped away everything that he possibly could yeah. and didn't ever replace or, or, or reinvest anything in the club. If any of you have ever been to Sports Direct and you want a different size shoe <laughs> you know what I mean. So Because there's like two stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean God, let's not even get into Sports Direct staff because um No let's not, but I'm just I'm using yeah. it to illustrate a point. Yeah, no, Last 100%. time I went and asked for a shoe, the poor security guard had to call someone to go do it for me and I felt really bad. And then it took me like an hour and then it was like I just I just can't. <laughs> and that is basically what Newcastle Workers are called for like fifteen years basically. Um so again with the massive asterisk of the ownership and you know that stuff, it's nice to see Newcastle actually Acting like a football club again, um, mm. and yet yeah, we'll we'll hope to see, you know, in the coming years, as we've said, we'll, we'll we hope to see more players coming through that are actually good enough uh, to make it into the team. And I mean, from a slightly more mercenary point of view, it can also be a good source of revenue in terms of players might come through. They might not be quite good enough to make it at Newcastle, especially if this is a Newcastle that are potentially. Challenging for trophies and top four and, and stuff it in 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 the years Did to come. Did you just say trophies? We'll see. Hey, <laughs> hey, we get we made it to a cup final this year. That is massive progress. <laughs> but what I mean is, you know, they they might not necessarily be good enough for that top tier if Newcastle are at that top tier. 
but they might still be good enough that you can still sell them and make some money which again you know kind of like the Chelsea way of hoovering up a lot that's what, what they did so well was hoovering up all that young talent and then you know you can just sell one of the young players who isn't going to make it at Chelsea who still made a profit I think anyone could make it at Chelsea at this point Jesus (laughs) anyway Aston Villa in Newcastle so the next game of this season so both teams in great form yeah it's going to be a really interesting game hopefully a really good game but it's going to be a really tough game because when is it is it on a Saturday or something it's next Saturday yeah okay Um, and it's going to be like I said yeah it's going to be potentially a very difficult uh, but hopefully entertaining game because both teams really bang in form Villa Unai Emery took over it from Steven Gerrard in October and he's done a great job yeah he has actually he got three home games in a row won six goals with none conceded um, so this is going to be a massive test of, of Newcastle's ability and sometimes let's be honest lack thereof to actually score when you have all of the possession and all of the attempts on goal and all of the attempts on target but you know Newcastle have also shown in the last three games that they can actually convert some of those chances it might take them 12 goes but two of them are going to get in uh, um, well, yeah, I mean, and that's the only thing I think Newcastle need to work on consistency yeah. <laughs> but yeah um, Villa you know as I say they were obviously in trouble when Gerard got sacked and Emery replaced him in October they're now up to sixth in the league. They're only nine points behind us. So if actually if, if Villa were to win, they'll only be six points behind us. Just to not saying I'm worried that we're going to get usurped by Aston Villa, but just to put it in perspective, how good they've been. Oh no, I think I think they've been excellent. And six, I mean, six wins from their last seven. I mean, and no offense to Gerard because I'm not saying I could do his job, but I I think we all knew when he came into the Premier League that this was going to be quite a tough challenge. Yeah, and I. I had my reservations when he got given the job. Like I know, like he was an excellent footballer, and I know he did well up in the Scottish League. But let's be honest, there's two teams in the Scottish mm. League, so you got fifty-fifty chance. Yeah. Um, and then coming to Villa, who were always, I guess, lower mid-tier team in the Premier League, it's always going to be a scrappy fight for them. And I think just what we've seen with Emery coming in shows that they they are a team that just needed sorting out. Yeah. And I just don't think Gerard had the ability or I think really the experience yes. to do that. And that's not me having a go at Gerard. I just I think I think the English league is very difficult for managers who are not used to it. And again, I'm not saying that that means that the Premier League is the best league in the world. I just think it, it it's so ebbing and flowing for someone who's brand new to come to a mid-tier team. It's very difficult, and we've seen we've seen Lampard do it with Chelsea. Chelsea theoretically should be a top half team, and they are not. Um, and we saw that with um, oh god, Lampard. That was it. I was going to say Gerald again, but Lampard, and obviously Lampard's back, and it's done nothing. Um, but it just really goes to show how well Emery's done with them at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, we are obviously in fantastic form as well. So they've won six of their last seven. We've won our last five. So two teams really at the top of the form table um, but I know yeah we, we've won our last two meetings with Aston Villa uh, both in 2022 we've beaten 4-0 and 1-0 but at, we're, we're going to be away from home again um, in our next game and it, it bears um, thinking about because we've lost our last three visits to Villa Park and we haven't won there since 2013 so Again, a ground that we historically have not done well at 
um, really over the last sort of decade or so. And one that's become a fortress in recent recent weeks. You know, it's going to be a huge challenge for us. Um, obviously, I, I want the winning streak to continue, but honestly, if we were to get a draw away at this Aston Villa side, um, the way they're playing, I think that would really be a pretty good result. Um, oh. Don't you think it's mad that we talk about beating Man United and yet drawing against Villa? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, honestly, that, I mean, to be fair, you know, United did not play well in that match. No, but they the fact didn't. We, we took advantage of it because, let's face it, how many times have we seen a big team like a Man United, a Man City, or a Liverpool have you know quite a poor game, but then they get let off the hook by the smaller team and they still end up scraping a, a jammy draw or a jammy win they didn't really deserve, but the other team just didn't quite manage to take advantage. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that we did and actually we in the end actually won pretty comfortably and deservedly so um you know was pretty massive in that in that united game but but yeah i say it, in terms of next week hopefully it's going to be an entertaining game you know you got i say you got two really informed teams um but again a very difficult game for both sides and it's it it could re- it's one that could really go either way maybe we'll cancel each other out um we're just going to have to wait and see really but you know we've got Isaac's in form Callum Wilson's in form you know that bodes well in terms of as you mentioned in terms of something we've seen quite a few times this season where we've not been taking our chances the fact that both of our strikers are now you know fit and firing and we've had you know players like Jolinton Joe Willock Sam Maximan's been playing well we've got other players you know contributing going forward as well um, makes up for the fact that again obviously Almiron's still going to be out for a while Um We've, we, we, you know, we, we're going to go there and we're going to have a really good chance as well. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll be back to talk about that next week. But we've been Magpies Unrestricted. Um, if you could give the podcast a like and subscribe and, and a positive review, that'd be really helpful for us. And yeah, I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks, Cara. No problem. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.